Thanks for your patience. Give that a second to load. All right. Wonderful. <clears throat> you know, that uh, those verses that Brother Bridges read to us this morning, um, some of my favorites, some verses in Scripture really stand out in a powerful way, and I think that those four verses do just that. I want to start by asking uh, a couple of questions. Um, have you ever been afraid that your heart was not right with God? That um, maybe you're not in a place of genuine repentance or by some error or uh, some carelessness, a season of carelessness, you're not right with God and uh, that concerns you. That ever happened? Or, or maybe you've thought to yourself, you know, there's, there's an obstacle or a dis- uh, uh, an obstruction that is preventing the Lord uh, and you from being close together and from Him pouring the Holy Spirit out. And, you know, as a result of that, there's no peace. If you've had that experience or perhaps you're having that experience currently, um, no peace in your life because of those feelings. And, you know, I have found in my years uh, of ministry that there's a lot of Christians that that is their experience. Um, they have no peace in Jesus. Well, hopefully today you'll find some peace. Our scripture reading there, Colossians 3, 1 through 4, let's look at it again. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So, you know, he starts right out um, with some pretty clear uh, guidance for us that we're to seek those things of the heavenly nature. And he says, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, Satan is battling against this. He wants the opposite to happen. He wants us to focus on the things of the earth, the distractions of the earth, the the pleasures, so-called, of the earth. But God's telling us to set our affections on things above. And he goes on, he says, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Isn't that the goal? That we would be ready when Jesus comes and we would appear with him in glory. And the only way that that happens is if we set our affections on things above, not on the things of the earth. Let's pray. Loving Father, we're blessed because we're still meeting in church. We're thankful for the freedom that we have this Sabbath, this beautiful Sabbath. Uh, You've taken us through another week. We're grateful for that. And Lord, as we uh, bow our heads before you, as we consider your word, we ask for your blessing. We ask for the Holy Spirit uh, to guide us into all truth. We thank you for your presence here and for answering this prayer. So we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This is from Review and Herald, uh, December 13th, 1887. Uh, She says, there's a wide difference between a pretended union and a real connection with Christ by faith. A profession of religion places men in the church, but this does not prove that they have a vital connection with the living vine. So let's talk about this pretended union because um, it can concern all of us. And what does it look like? Well, 
We're told it places men and women, boys and girls in the church, uh, going to church on Sabbath, on the right day, looking good on the outside when perhaps maybe there are some dark things that no one else knows about or very few people know about. Uh, Why is it called a pretended union? Because something is missing. Um, And what is missing? Well, a vital connection um, with the true vine. So you can read about that in John chapter 15, um, that connection with Jesus, the true vine. And when we enter into that connection, there's a communication or a dialogue that has to take place. And that dialogue is between you and God. And then when that happens, a wonderful thing happens because, you know, then our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is imputed or credited to our account. And we come to this realization that the promises found in God's word are ours by faith. The Bible is full of them. And then there's this amazing peace, this amazing joy uh, that that freedom brings. And so we need to recognize that accepting Jesus is the beginning, okay? He is your personal friend, but he's also your Lord and Savior. But it doesn't end there. When this intimacy of connection and communication is formed, our sins are laid upon Christ. His righteousness is imputed to us. He was made sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We have access to God through him. We are accepted in the beloved. And so I love that she points out very clearly that he was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. But so many Christians are trying to make their own righteousness. They're trying to do good things so that they will be accepted of God. But that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way. Okay, so we want this intimate connection with the Lord. Communication is formed. Our sins are laid upon Christ, and then his righteousness is given to us. Okay, then the good works come. So this union is important because this, the forces of evil, and if you look at the news at all, you see it's very common now. Forces of evil are are going crazy, and often we get drawn to sin. It's, it's really because of our sinful nature. It's the natural or the default position is for us to be drawn to evil, drawn to sin. And as a result of that, we're unable to overcome evil except by being fully joined with Christ because he can't sin. We are drawn to sin. We do that naturally. But if we have that union with Christ, then we're able to overcome evil. And keep in mind, the Lord is not going to overlook even one sin. Uh, We're fooling ourselves if we think that that's the case. Because if the Lord could overlook one sin, he would have done it in the garden. And we wouldn't be here today. We'd be in the kingdom. So the power of evil is so identified with humanity, with human beings, that without a union, no one can overcome sin. You know, in our quarterly, we're in Ephesians. um, Read read chapter 6. Verse 12 tells us something important. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against 
principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That speaks of the hierarchy of evil angels from Satan down. You know, he's a general and he commands his troops and there's a hierarchy, very organized. We are, we are not capable of battling against that. That's impossible. We need the Lord's help. We need him and his power and his grace. And so, where does moral and spiritual power come from? Well, it comes from the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which is the sword of the Spirit. So, through this union, we receive our power, our spiritual power, our moral power. And if we have the Spirit of Christ, then the fruit of the Spirit will be seen. So, if you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life, you need a union with Christ. Fruit bearing will be the result. This union with Jesus is something that lasts. It's not uh, designed to be a fleeting thing that comes and goes and there's this roller coaster ride that um, so many Christians are on. This, living, this is a living faith. This experience is to be enduring. It's to last. And in order for that to happen, every other union must perish, we're told. That's five testimonies, 231. Christ first chose us, paying an infinite price for our redemption. And the true believer chooses Christ as first and last and best in everything. So whatever it is that might be in the way of that, that has to be set aside in order for this to be an enduring union with Christ. So this union with Jesus lasts. It's not fleeting. Every other union must perish. And this union has to trump, has to come above every other thing. So we have to be willing to give up whatever is necessary for that union to take place. And as we think about that union, we have to remember uh, there has to be an exchange. Some things have to be given up. During his reign, King Frederick William III of Prussia found himself in trouble because wars had, had depleted the treasury. And he was trying to build a nation, but because of the finances it being in serious trouble, um, you know, he was in a quandary and he didn't want to disappoint his people, but he also didn't want to capitulate to the enemy. And so after careful thought, he decided to ask the women of his kingdom to bring their gold and silver jewelry to be melted down to replenish the treasury. And he said, for each ornament that you bring, I will exchange a decorative brooch of iron as a symbol of gratitude. And each brooch would be inscribed, I gave gold for iron, 1813. And surprisingly, the response was overwhelming. Um, and even more importantly, the women prized those iron brooches more than they did their gold and silver. Because the iron brooches were proof that they had sacrificed for their king. And when Seventh-day Adventist Christians come to Jesus and accept him as Savior and Lord... 
there is an exchange that has to take place in order to form that solid union with him. There are things that we have to give up. Pleasures and wealth and entertainment, perhaps. Who knows? Whatever God determines. And you know, the things of the world are often, they appear as gold and silver when in fact they're iron. They're not worth uh, what we, the value that we place on these earthly things. Because they're fleeting. They really are. They're not going to last. And so the union costs something. And uh, it's supposed to be a relationship of utter dependence. But we're so self-sufficient that we depend on ourselves most of the time. And then when we get in a bind, then we depend on the Lord. But we're not there yet. We're not at a place where we're utterly dependent on the Lord. So with any union, there's a, there's a cost. It requires that we become de- totally dependent on Jesus. We have to feel our need of his atoning blood. Because if you think that you can develop enough righteousness to be saved, then you'll be lost. So feel your need. Recognize that there's nothing that you can do to undo the wages of sin, which is death, aside from total trust and faith in Jesus. If we think we're doing enough to be saved, we'll be lost. And so we have to then exchange our will for the Lord's will. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever said, oh, I'm going to go. This is what I'm going to be in life. And maybe halfway there, God said, no. And you had to exchange your will for God's will. I've seen that happen. And the safest place to be is in God's will. That's the safest place to be. There must be a change of heart. Where is your heart? There will be a detachment from the worldly, from the sinful, the things that are desirous uh, to us as sinners, and that will be painful. It's hard to give up something that you love, even if it's bad for you. And so every type of sin must be overcome by determined effort, while united with Christ. Now, I want to qualify that statement because it could sound like works, but if you are not determined to stop something, doesn't matter how powerful God is, it will not happen because you don't desire it. We have to be determined. It is not easy to quit smoking. It's not easy to quit drinking. There has to be an effort. I watched my father struggle with, with nicotine addiction. And, and he tried everything. And, and you know, he would go uh, for, for a period of time and, and, you know, then he would fall back into it. There has to be a determined effort or it'll never happen. The Lord's just not going to magically uh, take away temptation and, and addiction and sin. So there has to be a determined effort while relying completely on the Lord. So again, our, our scripture reading. We need to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Because ultimately that is our goal, isn't it? To be there with him. We have to set our affections on the things above. What do you love? What are the things that you love? Are you looking forward to Sabbath being over so that you can go right back to the things that you love? God forbid. Where are your affections? Not on the things of the earth. Our lives are to be hid with Christ. You know, we're told that while the reason many 
Christians find the Christian life so deplorably hard is, is because we're trying to attach ourselves to Christ without first detaching ourselves from our cherished idols. You know, we're, we're trying to do this. And it does, our arms are not long enough to do that. So there has to be a switch in order to form this union with the Lord. We have to let go. Jesus um, said something. And let's read this quote first, five testimonies. A union with Christ by living faith is enduring. We talked about that. Every other union must perish. Christ first chose us, paying an infinite price for our redemption. And the true believer chooses Christ first and last and best in everything. Jesus said this, For what shall it profit a man, and that includes women and boys and girls, if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And hopefully... The answer is there's nothing in this world that I'm willing to exchange for eternal life. I, I, I will give up any worldly thing so that I can have eternal life. I mean, think about the richest people in the world. Some of these people own islands. They're just billions of dollars. They don't know how to spend it. They have to hire professionals to, to help them spend this money. But if they don't have eternal life, they have nothing. And think about this. You know, the average person lives like 76 years, between 74 and 76 years. Imagine if everything is wonderful during those years and you have everything that you want, but when Jesus comes, you're lost. That's terrible. It's terribly sad. And it's astonishing to think that the majority of people that Jesus died to save will cling to sin or hold on to something and forfeit eternal life. And the Bible is very clear that the road to destruction is very wide. It's sad. It might be some sort of entertainment that is so valuable to you that you're not willing to give it up. Or a habit you're not willing to give up. Or a lifestyle that you know is harmful and your body is the temple of God and the Holy Spirit, but you're not willing to give that up. And it might be a desire to uh, achieve monetary wealth at some level or worldly possessions or adornment and in exchange you lose eternal life. Let's turn it around and say it this way. What are you willing to give up to obtain eternal life? And I hope the answer is anything or everything that God says. Today's a wonderful time to enter into a union with Christ. To draw close to the Savior, to one another. Jesus said this in John chapter 13. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Now this is not about cleansing feet. Do you realize these words have nothing to do with that? Yes, the disciples' feet were dirty. But this is about serving and humbling. The recipient is humbled. The one that's washing the feet is the servant, represents Christ. You know, Christ came and he served. He continues to serve. He wants us to serve. 
He wants our hearts to be open and to be humbled. And this ordinance of foot washing is what Jesus prescribes as the great physician to humble the heart. We shouldn't be afraid of it. Most of our feet are terrible to look at. No one's looking at your feet. The Lord is looking at our hearts. He wants to cleanse the heart, to humble the heart. That's what he wants to do. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to follow the Lord's example. And so let's go reverently from here. Um, The ladies are going to meet in the fellowship hall and then couples and men on uh, over here in these Sabbath school classrooms. Then we'll come back for the Lord's Supper.